KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Ever heard of the Thwaites Glacier down in Antarctica? If not, you will soon enough and won't like why. Scientists are sounding the alarm about it. We wanted to dig into this and caught up with Dr. Amanda Granis. She is a chemistry professor and the vice provost for research and chief research officer at Villanova University. This is important stuff. Give a listen. For people that aren't familiar at all, kind of explain what this glacier is, why it is so important. Okay, so the Thwaites Glacier, it's located in the western part of Antarctica. It's about the size of Florida. And part of Thwaites actually extends out over the ocean. So part of the ice is floating on top of the ocean water. And part of it's located over land. That's the Antarctic continent. Now, the first thing to know about glaciers is that they're not still quiet, unmoving. Glaciers flow and they move. Now, some parts of glaciers, or what you might hear referred to as ice shelves, extend out from land over the water. And then there's the part of the glacier that's over the land. Um, In Antarctica, the vast majority of the ice that's down there is located over land. A lot of that ice, you know, over a mile thick. Um, Then there's these ice shelves that extend out over the water. And these ice shelves, um, they, they serve the role of holding back that ice that's over the land to keep it from flowing out into the ocean. So, If you're into architecture, it's very much like the idea of the flying buttresses in Gothic medieval cathedrals that, you know, took they they take the stress and force of the weight of these huge vaulted stone ceilings and distribute that out to the ground so that the walls don't collapse under the weight of those really, you know, heavy stone roofs, so to speak. And these ice shelves essentially do the same the same thing for the ice that's on the continent of, of Antarctica. They do a really impressive job of holding back the massive weight of that ice behind it to keep it from flowing into the ocean. Now, if our ice shelf or our flying buttress goes away, then that opens the door for that ice that's behind it, that's over the land, to more freely flow out into the ocean. And that means catastrophic sea level rise, if that were to happen. So Thwaites Glacier is one of the most important glaciers that kind of serve that purpose. So it's holding back about 10 feet of sea level rise from the West Antarctic ice sheet, the ice that's in that ice sheet. If Thwaites goes and then kind of opens up the door for the West Antarctic ice sheet to collapse and flow into the ocean, then we're looking at 10 feet of sea level rise if that happens. So the the melting and the collapse of Thwaites Glacier is something that we really need to be paying attention to. And I've read some articles. It seems like the alarm bells have been ringing about this. What exactly is research showing? What are we seeing here? So scientists are finding that Thwaites Glacier is actually becoming unstable at its very foundation and much more quickly than anticipated. We've actually known that this glacier has been deteriorating for 20 years. Um, so the, the, the fact that that deterioration is going much more quickly than we had anticipated, than the, the models and the data were showing was happening, um, that's sort of the alarm bell. Um, so, you know, essentially what's happening is climate change is causing the ocean water to warm. And it, part of the issue is that it's melting the glacier from beneath. So the water that kind of goes under this glacier 
it's it's melting it and destabilizing it. And then there are these big cracks that are forming. So we can actually see this from satellite data. And these cracks are moving really quickly and much more quickly than they were, say, 5, 10, 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, if this ice shelf, we, we know it's deteriorating and we know it's beginning to collapse. The best case scenario is it does that slowly. So, you know, even then, it's almost inevitably going to wind up causing at least two feet of sea level rise. That's what we know is probably coming um, when this the smaller part of the glacier, the Thwaites Glacier collapses. The bigger unknown question is how and how long it's going to take that West Antarctic ice sheet ice to come behind it. Um, the, what, what I said was the 10 feet of sea level rise that, that could be caused by that. And that's that's the bigger unknown. Um, that's That's the piece of it that's maybe 50, 100 or more years out. Um, but we know the two feet of sea level rise from Thwaites Glacier itself is probably within our lifetime. Um, so now the question is, well, how do we manage for that? What do we do to respond to that? Because we we know it's coming. We can't we can't stop this. We can't put the cork back in the bottle, so to speak. So we, we have to figure out how we're going to respond and adapt to that because that's going to change our coastlines. It's going to change our infrastructure where, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. Yeah, that might. My next question was, we're just observers of this. There, There is no sci-fi movie miracle plan we can put in place to try to do anything to slow this. Right. Our, we're we're just kind of hoping it goes as slow as possible. Yeah. So. Um, so all signs point to we're, we're not going to keep this glacier from collapsing. Um, the reducing our carbon emissions is really critical just overall to reducing the impact of climate change. But the problem is carbon dioxide, the main greenhouse gas that we emit, it sticks around a long time after we emit it, up to like 100 years in the atmosphere. So what we're pumping out into the atmosphere now is going to be around for our kids and grandkids to deal with. Um, so even if we could just today turn off the spigot, make emissions go to zero, um, we're still going to see more climate warming from the stuff that we've already put out that's going to be sticking around for a while. Um, so, but if we can decarbonize and reduce our use of fossil fuels and reduce those carbon emissions as quickly as possible, then we marry, we could very well slow what looks to be an impending unavoidable rise in sea level. So again, giving us that time to develop you know, mitigation tactics and, and figure out what are we going to do to respond to this when, you know, instead of kicking the can down the road, let's make the decision now. We know this is coming. The scientists have been warning us this is coming. We need to prepare for it. What does rising sea level look like? And what I mean by that is, is it a monster storm that the water never recedes? Is it a more gradual you know, things flood more and more often that maybe didn't okay. used to flood. Uh, and then you look around 10 years from now and you realize that there's three feet of coastline that that's not there anymore. What is the the most likely or is that still to be determined? So I, I think we know, I mean, we're already seeing sea level rise happening on a much slower, gradual time scale, but but it's happening. And so we're seeing some of the effects of that from you know, um, storm surges 
um, you know, worse coastal flooding when there is a storm that comes through. Um, we're starting to see saltwater intrusion further inland that's impacting coastal ecosystems. It could actually impact, you know, freshwater resources. So if we exacerbate that, you know, another two feet, um, and then this is going to be something, it's going to take a little bit of time to make that two feet change happen. It's not like you're going to wake up tomorrow and the two feet's here. There, you know, it's it's going to be a, a gradual process that that happens over a number of years. Um, but again, it's the idea of us preparing for it. So, you know, one of the things that I think about now, I mean, we're in the midst of it, everyone's experiencing it, is, you know, all the supply chain issues that have been messed up due to COVID, right? I don't even want to think about the impacts to the supply chain when you know we lose our major ports and the you know global shipping patterns change and you know all all of those sorts of things that would be associated with sea level rise if you know if we think we've got it bad now with covid you know we 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 have to open our eyes to what's going to happen when when that piece of infrastructure gets really um you know hit hard with this kind of sea level rise um you know people living in coastal areas they're going to need to relocate um, some areas and even whole countries could be wiped out. So you're looking at essentially a, a refugee situation. Where are these people going to go? Um, you know, huge economic impacts from, you know, needing to rebuild or relocate a ton of infrastructure. You know, insurance prices are going to skyrocket. You're going to potentially lose freshwater resources, again, due to that saltwater intrusion farther inland. So, you know, the list goes on. Um, and as things that we know, and again, we could we can plan for um, if we're willing to think about it and have the political will and action and, and put policy in place and, and put resources in place to, to make the changes we need to respond to this. Talked about hoping it goes as slow as possible. Can you give me some context? Two feet. It, what is probably the best case scenario for this two feet of of sea level rise as a result of the, the glacier collapsing and melting? That's a good question. I think that's one that we're, we're still trying to figure out because again, it's that there is sort of a spectrum of possibilities where, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of the first part of this glacier begins to collapse. And again, like that idea of your buttress goes away. Um, maybe that ice that's behind it doesn't come as quickly. So we, we may not, we may not see all of that happening really quickly, or there could be a situation where we have what's called a tipping point. So something happens that it causes sort of a a snowball effect, um, pardon the the pun there. Um, but it causes this sort of, you know, one thing catalyzes another thing, starts another thing, trips the wire on another thing. And then you have that sort of the other end of the spectrum where there is this, this sort of catastrophic downward spiral. And again, you're looking at the difference, you know, two feet and 10 feet, major difference in sea level rise. Um, you know, with 10 feet, you, you know, Manhattan is part of Manhattan's underwater. Miami's gone. The whole coastline of Florida is rewritten globally coastlines will re- have to redraw all the maps. Um, that's, that's kind of the worst case scenario. Um, so again, it's a matter of us having the will to understand we, we need some significant changes to our infrastructure. Um, and, and again, remembering this doesn't, this doesn't mean I like, I like to think of it as the, the positives because this is very 
this is very sort of doomsday, you know, discussion we're having here. Um, but, you know, humans are incredibly innovative and creative and resilient. And, you know, especially when we work together to solve problems. And so we know we need to get away from fossil fuels as quickly as we can to try to slow and mitigate some of these things that we are seeing happening right before our eyes and that the scientists are trying you know, to warn us are, are coming. Um, so how do we prepare for it? So, but the thing to appreciate is there are major economic upsides for us moving away from fossil fuels toward renewable energy. I mean, fossil fuels are gonna run out. Um, we're using them faster than you know, Earth can regenerate them, right? So there's gonna be a point in time where we either run out or it's just not economically viable to recover them anymore. So, you know, we, we have to move away from them. It's inevitable. So the question is how quickly can we move away? And we need to think beyond sort of the quarterly analysis, right? We need to think about the scientists warning, there's this thing that's coming and it's three, five, 10, 20 years down the road, but it's coming and we're not going to stop it. So what do we do? Um, so I think we really need to communicate better all the upsides to, you know, moving our economy away from fossil fuels and creating new jobs, new technologies, cleaner air and water, um, you know, a path toward minimizing and mitigating some of these risks that we are seeing, one of which is when this Thwaites Glacier goes and the major sea level rise is going to come behind it. Um, not to mention all of the other things that are happening because of climate change. I mean, Thwaites Glacier is just one, one piece of the puzzle. Um, it's just one that right now is getting a lot of press because there was sort of the, oh my gosh, moment recently with some of the data that the scientists have been collecting uh, that is is sort of the you know, knock upside the head that we, <laughs> I hope that we respond to. And you just kind of referenced this, but as far as like tangible things, places we could look at that sound the alarm, this glacier is pretty much near the top of the list of things we have been and should be worried about. Correct. It's, it's near the top of the list, um, but that's not to say there's not other things we need to be worrying about. I mean, we're seeing, you know, this past summer, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, flooding, storm flooding that we saw, you know, impacts from hurricanes and, and infrastructure that really wasn't set up and, and built to deal with that type of storm surge and, and flood and, you know, the amount of rain that came through in a particular amount of time. And, and we know with climate change, things like hurricanes are going to strengthen um, you know, we're going to more moisture is, is, you know, getting into the atmosphere because the oceans are warmer. Um, so that, that, you know, has implications for, for hurricanes, all of the, um, you know, a lot of the wildfires, how, how bad they were is exacerbated because of the drought situation, which has a tie back to, to climate. Um, now I want to, I want to put the caveat there that weather and climate are two very different things. Um, so right now, you know, outside it's 28 degrees, uh, and a lot of people will say, you know, oh, but this is, this is a cold snap. And so where's your climate change now? Um, that's one caveat I want to put out there about, you know, weather and climate are, are two different things, but th they are related. Um, so while there may be a cold snap happening, um, you know, in, in some instances that actually is also related to climate change because as you were destabilizing the Arctic. So we've talked a lot about the Antarctic right now. 
Um, but we're destabilizing the Arctic too. And that's going to have implications for our weather here in the U.S. Um, you know, you can actually get more cold air coming down uh, because you destabilize the, you know, the atmospheric circulation that's in, in the Arctic. Um, we're losing Arctic sea ice at an unprecedented rate. Um, that has implications for ocean circulation, uh, which ties into things like the jet stream, um, you know, how, how warm air moves up from the, and warm water moves up from the tropics and, and helps keep us a little bit more temperate. Um, you know, it's one reason why Britain has a more temperate climate considering it's hot, relatively high latitude. Um, so all of these pieces that are, you know, interconnected, um, we have impacts that we are going to see because of climate change, uh, causing these, you know, interrelated impacts that, again, scientists have been saying for years, this is what's happening. This is what we're predicting. We're seeing it play out. Um, and unfortunately, some of these things we're seeing play out faster than what the scientists actually originally predicted. So that's the tough part. And my final question, and this is kind of more of a psychological question than a science one, like, I think we're finally at a point where a vast majority of people are accepting and saying, okay, this is happening. And I understand people being slow to want to do stuff for economic interests. I don't agree, but I can see it makes sense. But overall, why, why do you, is it just because it is, is it just because it is such a big concept and so all encompassing that it's difficult for humans to get their their mind around that the world I fundamentally know is going to change. So it is easier for me to just dismiss it and and not accept what people are telling people that know this are, are telling me. Is it do you think that's kind of behind why we've been so slow this aside from the economic picture? Yeah, I think absolutely. I this is this is a daunting task, right? And you know, I think because there there has not been sometimes this huge one single thing that's kind of that, like I said, this slap upside the head. Um, I, I might argue threats could be that one, but again, once it collapses, it's kind of too late, right? So um, I think one of the one of the problems is over the years, the the whole issue of climate change and how we respond to it has become politicized. And there's also a major misinformation campaign that's going on, you know, similar to what happened in the tobacco industry when, you know, people started sounding the alarm bells about the ties between cancer and cigarette smoking. And then there were these ads that you, that you can Google them, you know, ads that came out that said four out of five doctors smoke camel cigarettes, right? You know, we look back on that now, and I think most of us are kind of aghast, and we, and we wonder like, oh my gosh, how could anyone have believed that? How could anyone have put an ad out like that? How could anyone have done that? You know, um, so I'd like to think in the future we're going to look back on this kind of similar misinformation that that's coming out and and have the same reaction. Uh, at least I would hope so. Um, the second issue that I think has been problematic, honestly, is due to science communication and how much of the science that's been done and is being done just has not effectively been communicated to the public. And that's on us. That's on me as a scientist, but I'd like to think we're getting better. Um, you know, doing parts of the conversations like we're having right now, 
you know, we need to be willing to sit down and talk and listen to each other, not talk at each other or talk down to each other. Um, you know, it breaks my heart when people that are advocating for renewable energy, when their language and, and their tone and how they talk, you know, they, they demonize those that are working in the fossil fuel industry, you know, meaning the coal miners and the oil field workers. Um, you know, I grew up in Western PA where my dad worked in the strip mines out there and, you know, coal put a roof over my head and food on a table when I was a kid. So, you know, it's our politicians and our policymakers and our CEOs who we need to hold accountable for what's happening. Um, and, you know, our reluctance as a society to move away from, you know, our reliance on fossil fuels in particular, but just my two cents. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.